Welcome to another edition of the Engineering Leadership Podcast, where we bring together successful C-suite executives to explore their stories at the intersection of leadership and engineering. We believe leaders are built, not born. And by nailing the constants, we can build strong, engineering-focused leaders who are prepared for future success. Each interview was led by Doug Hawk, chemical engineer, business executive, and the creator of Engineering Leadership. I'm Ben Fanning. Let's get started. On today's episode, we have Bill Malloy, who is president of Malloy & Company. His organization's purpose is to foster innovation that directs positive change into communities. He's also founded a venture capital firm that has core values and a strong culture at its center. Bill's undergraduate degree is in engineering from Clemson, and he chose the topic of driving results. Here are a couple of the main ideas that you'll discover in today's episode. Number one, understanding your purpose in business is critical and will help you to build a more solid product. Number two, if someone is thinking of going into the corporate world, they should start early and not be afraid to ask a lot of questions. And then number three, when taking an entrepreneurial route, you have to be willing to fail and fail early. Enjoy this episode. Well, hello, thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Doug Hawk for Engineering Leadership. Um, in this episode, we've got Bill Malloy joining us. He's president of Malloy & Company, but uh, has a long lineage of a number of companies that he's led and, and uh, built and, uh, and sold and, and, and guided through many levels of success. So we, we want to talk about that but also built bill pick the constant of driving results um as you know in engineering leadership our our tagline is leaders are built not born and uh you know that's that's our objective here is to help all of us become better leaders and do, to do so by focusing on those constants we can control so that when we encounter the daily chaos that inevitably comes at us we've got those foundations underneath us to help us succeed so bill help us I mean, uh, welcome today. Thanks for joining us, taking time to do this. And uh, pick and shuts are a great topic, you know, driving results, which obviously in a, in a COVID world that we're living in right now, um, you know, I just opened there, like, how has that sort of impacted your view on this? And how, how do we drive results in a period like this while also being thoughtful about uh, all the other pressures our employees and, and teammates are under? Yeah, look, it, it's a uh, it's a very timely question, as you know. It, it's interesting in my world, which is mainly um, kind of venture capital community technology, whether that's um, healthcare, biotech, or, or software. It's interesting. It really hasn't changed that much. I mean, we were we were joking earlier on about yes, I'm I'm not living on a plane anymore, um, but a lot of my companies have been set up kind of in a, a decentralized way where I think there have been hiccups in team culture and how do you how do you keep that going but I think efficiency went up where everyone uh, when it first started happening I think there was a little bit of an emotional side that set in like all right this is gonna last for a while and now I kind of feel like it's um, it really has uh, plateaued so I think there's a lot more time on tools like communication tools whether it be you know video or or chat or email to try to uh, try to take advantage of the the infrastructure that we have from a software standpoint 
um, but it's good. And, and, and all, um, honestly, it's interesting for me to see, you know, I've, I've made, um, throughout my career, I've made about 170 investments and in, say in the last like 10 years and only a few of those, you know, really, really struggled through COVID and some are actually beating pre COVID numbers, right? If you're in security or business efficiency, anything to do, do with sales efficiency, we're actually seeing an increase. So um, so I think it's an interesting time. We're in a fortunate position just in the industry that we're, uh, we're in. So, um, you know, kind of count our blessings there and at the same time, try to give back to some of the industries that might not be as fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, I tell everybody in our company, you know, the, our, our worst day, we're, we're far better off than those guys trying to run movie theaters or, gosh, you know, keep restaurants open or, run cruise ships or, you know, you can, the list is pretty long of, of, of impacts. So yeah, we're definitely fortunate. You know, one of the things I think about when focusing on results and I was having this conversation actually with a, uh, a new leader yesterday that um, we're promoting to a new position and, you know, chatting about, okay. And, and especially this time of year is sort of budget season, you know, setting expectations, locking down the strategy setting expectations for the next year, um, putting those out there, putting them in a budget. Obviously, for those of us in public companies, you know, getting final board approval before we close out the year, um, sometimes even talking to analysts and starting to set, you know, expectations and that type of thing. Um, but one of the things we talked about yesterday with this, this new leader in our company was, you know, the recognition that all the plans we're laying now will be wrong <laughs> to some degree, right? And that and that driving results is not about often, not not never, but often it's not about executing the plan. Although one has to execute the plan, but it's really about, in my experience, getting to the results despite all of the changes and gyrations and again, craziness that happened. I mean, no one can predict COVID. It's an extreme example, but every year or every quarter, there's something, right? Um, what's your experience been in just that? What is it? What mindsets can engineers really use to say, well, you know, particularly if I'm technically trained in engineering and I'm used to having a, you know, hey, the equation is solved this way. Well, in business, we can plan on solving it that way. And we do have to have an important concept about how to get there. But we have to recognize it's unlikely that that's exactly what's going to happen. And I have to overcome that. Right. Yeah, no, it's good. And I, I will, I'll tie this back into my Clemson experience. So I was a chemical engineer at Clemson and um, I ended up in San Francisco, but what drew me there was I did an internship at what is now the Tesla plant and right outside of San Francisco. So to your point, I'm like very, very process driven, you know, highly organized I didn't use a single ounce of the chemical engineering side of it. I'm now using it in some of the healthcare stuff I'm doing, which is interesting. But, you know, me going from working at what is now the Tesla plant, going into software and product and engineering, and I was really fortunate enough, like right place, right time, some incredible investors and, and founders I worked with. We sold two businesses, one to Yahoo, the other to, to Real Networks. And... Um, but but I always felt for me, part of the 
the thing that was lacking was the the business experience, which was I ended up going to the University of Southern California and getting an MBA, and which kind of led me down the venture capital and investing route. But I always go back to the engineering side um, that I got from Clemson when it comes to your question around execution. So for me, I think it it has to start at the highest, highest level, which is mission, vision, values, and really driving that home, even if you're just starting a business, right? I think to your point, public companies, you know, you will you will by the time you get to a public company, you'll have a lot of the stuff that I'm gonna talk about in place. But I think even if it's breaking it down to two students at Clemson that are in engineering and they're starting a company. Start with your mission, vision, values, because that will drive everything. It will drive your product innovation. It will drive the people that you hire, and it will drive what you're saying on the execution side. Because I think you then, if you were to break it down to the next level, you need to kind of lay out your operating plan, which would be, you know, all the way from what are your biggest goals to your three to five year plan to your, to your one year plan to your quarterly plan. Now, how many companies actually hit their quarterly plan, you know, public companies or even early stage, to your point, it's a very, very small percentage. So I think even breaking it down further into doing weekly team huddles where you're constantly adjusting, I think that's one of the key components, right? I think you have to start at the highest level of mission, vision, values, and you do have to have your plans that are highly organized. But to your point, I think the best organizations are able to adjust. So are you adjusting on a weekly basis? Are you adjusting on a monthly basis? Are you adjusting on a quarterly basis? Is it the thing that I say is when I meet with an entrepreneur or, or I'm meeting with another founder, everything that we're talking about instantly changes as we walk out the door. The competitive landscape changes, the funding dynamics change, our internal dynamics change. So what really leads to that execution component, the topic of today is laying the plans, but also at the same time, being nimble enough to adjust as you take in new variables. Yeah. And you mentioned a a really important point, I think, in terms of the, what I call kind of the operating tempo, right? Like just, uh, you know, we've actually, and I've not done this at every company, but in, in our current business, which is operationally intense, um, and a lot of with a lot of safety exposure and hazardous materials, mm-hmm. you name it. You know, we've literally gone to you know daily tempo meetings. We call them tier one meetings. You know, we're doing our, I mean, and we'll do not just data collection there, but root cause analysis, and and that may spin off into the you know the classic fishbone diagram. And we're, you know, every day, and it is, and it's bottoms up, right? It's it's frontline exposure to that situation and that interface with with a customer with a with an operating plant with you know but it's at that level and getting that acting on that now not later regardless of what the plan was but again we always start those sessions with and your reference back to it is really important is you know why are we here to begin with and understanding the broader perspective and picture but not you know, not, you know, it's head on the head in the clouds and feet firmly on the ground, right? You, you got to kind of have both and connect them, right? To, to get that out there. Agreed wholeheartedly. Um, how do you, you know, you brought up the 
sort of the mission, vision, values. Um, you know, is that the is that is that the thinking of start with why? You know, why am I doing this? Why are we here? Why would I attempt this before one gets into the before we do the engineering thing, which is we're so anxious to break down into the tear it apart, you know, get to the granular. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, just thinking about how does how do we get uh, how do we get more young engineers, as an example, to to back up, take that step, take a breath. And think more about those those layers of, of the challenge rather than, you know, just solving the equation that's in front of them. Yeah, I think like anything, especially if you have an engineering mindset, going back to your point on equation, I think once you understand kind of the formula, if you will, um, I think it, it, the, the big thing is recognition, which hopefully, you know, what we're doing now will uh, will help. So I think engineers need to understand, you know, you're, you're typically you're coming out of Clemson, you're going to be thrust into a role that's going to be, you know, highly technical. You're going to have on, have on blinders. So yeah, I think even in that role, really taking the opportunity to, to think about that, that component of why are we, um, why are we here? Why are we doing what we're, we're doing and is equally as important. What are the values you know, that our organization have and, and that I have, because I think there is a critical component, especially for engineers who are, even if you're not starting your own company, if you're building something, if you understand those components, it will help you build a better and a better product and frankly, an ethical product, because engineers have so much influence behind the scenes on the infrastructure that, that a lot of people may never, never see. But it is um, it is built from the ground up. So I think kind of coming back to your point, I think it really does help understand and motivate you know individual people on why are we waking up and doing this every single day and putting you know, our heart and soul and working 80 hours a week um, and will help deliver a better, better product to, to customers, whether it's a consumer product or an enterprise product. Yeah. You know, you mentioned from a sort of that the early point in your career where you were, you know, out of school, building those businesses. When did you, you know, when is there, was there a moment in time for you where it was like, okay, because for me, it was a, it was a particular, like literally it was a, it was a night sitting on the stoop of my house going, what am I doing? Um, where things became crystal clear for me in that moment that, you know, driving results, which, you know, I had been, I'd had some success doing right. But, Again, a lot of it through, you know, the re when you hit a wall, just work harder, lean in, you know, push through um, and really realizing, well, you know, if I'm going to drive the results we need to get to as a team, it can't be about anything I'm doing. Right. Like it's, you know, it's that it's here to facilitate the team's activity, recognizing that, you know, it's it's connecting that that objective and that mission with, you know, with everybody's enthusiasm for accomplishing it and um, not taking your eye off the results. But again, realizing one, you aren't going to get there on your own because there's very little of us, any of us can do as individuals. And two, recognizing that, you know, the results are an outcome of the process and the effort, not, not in and of themselves, you know, something that you can pursue directly. 
Yeah, I, I I do agree with that, and and I think in your analogy, you yours was was sitting on a a, a porch, kind of your your component. I don't know if it, for me it was a single moment. It was what I realized it was pattern recognition, and mm-hmm. it was the pattern recognition from the companies that I'd been involved in, and then the companies I'd invested in, being able to see Twilio as an example, or Uber, or Lyft, and even there's some kind of up and coming companies in the fintech space, Adapar being one that was kind of an off spin from Palantir or Tally, which is a consumer credit company. The the highly successful companies are very much mission driven and they kind of focus on that execution all the way from top down to, to the conversation we were having earlier on daily huddles or, or, or weekly huddles. So it, it was um, it was the pattern recognition for me just by sheer law of numbers, seeing okay this there is a formula here that works compared to I'll give you the the, the contrasting view okay I have, I have a really bright team that has all the good ideas but they're doing too many things right I've, I'm okay well I want to go do this project I want to go do this project I want to go do this project well. At the end of the day, I don't I don't care if your Salesforce down to you know a newly formed widget company, you only have so many resources. So that prioritization and that focus is really what I think will separate the highly successful companies from the ones that fail or that are just kind of mediocre success successful. I mean, are there are there attributes you see? I mean, certainly, you know, we've we've all heard that uh you know, technology is great. Big ideas are great, but from a particularly from a VC investor standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, they invest in teams and leaders, right? I mean, is that is that how you see it? And 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 how should how should young leaders think about that as they're putting teams together and thinking about you know what I try to encourage our folks and I always try to do myself is you know really understand the things I stink at and make sure I've got the best folks around me I can possibly attract to the table, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll share with you my Python program that calculates success. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> there, there, are too many, uh, there are too many variables. Um, so, uh, yes, I think uh, it, it's always teams, 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 right? When you're, when you're earlier looking on, which ties into our conversation. I mean, I think the team um, being able to look at a, at a, big market or a big idea is one thing, but you have to be able to execute in that market. So what I'm looking for is a team that has some kind of unique insight. And let's try to tie it into the the Clemson example. Let's say there are two engineers that worked at BMW in an internship and they got some kind of insight there. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I'm really looking for. It's not like, oh, well, you know, I think this market's interesting and it's big and I want to go build something. Whether you've worked in it, you did research in it, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking for that team to have um, the unique insight, you know, number one. I think number two, I'm really looking for a, a technical moat. So I always ask the question, okay, if I threw a couple million dollars and an engin- a group of engineers at this, could I just go build this myself? So there's the people that I tend to try to surround myself with are um, are engineers that have uh, 
highly technical backgrounds that are approaching the problem in some you know unique way. And then the the third piece is I'm really looking for that very first product. So how are they they going to be able to get revenue? And and the reason that I think that that is more important than just like what some people would call TAM or your total addressable market right. is going after a big TAM is great, but it, it's really kind of irrelevant unless you can get that first product where you can start to generate revenue and then you can get customer insights. Oh, wow, I've got uh, I've got something that is solving a pain point and then I can build into a larger total addressable market. So for for me, those are probably the the three key areas that I try to focus in on. It is a very highly, you know, complex and organized um, process that we go through to to look uh, at the founders that we partner with. But that's probably the if I were to try to give you the elevator pitch. Those are my three pillars. That's good. That 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 MVP, right? The minimum viable product, the term that I hear, but. See, it's, it relates back. To, I was watching one of your TED talks about the what you call it, the other half of the chessboard. Um, with so it's that first grain. You know, if you're doubling it, it's fantastic. But how do you get the first grain on the board, right? Like what, what I was thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of people miss that, right? I mean, I think it is really, really hard. And I, I'm trying to think about the engineering students. You know, one is if you take the entrepreneurial route, but then two is if you're working inside of a, you know, a larger organization and, you know, I think the majority of people are going to be working inside of a larger organization to start. Hopefully some are fortunate enough to be entrepreneurs coming out of school, but I think you can take that approach. Even if you're an engineer working inside of a larger organization, like what's just the first problem that I need to solve and, and how do I think about solving the product problem that will eventually lead to whatever my company's goals are. I mean, eventually, you know, companies are, are, are looking for financial results, but I think you can build it up, you know, one by one and, and break down what your role is and how does that tie into what the company is trying to do. It, early on, when I was doing my early engineering internships at, while at Clemson, I don't think I really understood that. I was just kind of like, all right, I'm showing up and I'm doing... Uh, some industrial engineering work for this manufacturing company. And I didn't realize the work that I was doing there was leading to higher margin, which was leading to kind of their in financial results. So I think you can take that same analogy and apply it not only to entrepreneurs, but to engineers coming out of um, of school and getting that first job. Yeah, uh, that's a great point. I also think the, you know, one of the connections I think is really important to make as early as folks can is that not just the connection to financial results, but really starting, you know, uh, you know, we all chose to be engineers, not accountants, but I tell everybody, you know, you better have a great accountant and you really need to understand deeply, you know, the connection between your balance sheet and your income statement and, and how cash flow works every day in your business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just something I think that, um, you know, as when you're in a, if you're going to achieve a leadership position, you are going to have to be pretty intimate with, with all of those ways of thinking, just like you are engineering. And it's, you know, it is numbers, but it's counting is not engineering and, and, and reverse obviously. But, um, I guess, where did you get the exposure to 
you know, how quick did you get that exposure to make that connection? And, and you, you know, you mentioned like, Hey, I didn't know I was improving the margin, but when did you, and then like, Oh, and now I can, now I can, and then progressing, like as an entrepreneur, you've got to model it. Like you said, end to end, every aspect of it, right. To get a product to market. Um, you know, for me, it was, it was, I was in a small company um, and we were, you know, we were selling really well. And so I thought, well, wait a minute. We came in, we're blowing the doors off in sales. Um, we increased margins, and yet I had no cash, right? So it took, you know, and as it is, I just and I came out of I came out of Exxon where you didn't think about cash flow. Like you had you had plenty of cash. <laughs> cash. You know, if you could make margin and grow revenues and do it, right? You didn't. But when you're in a small company, I mean, you can very quickly, you know, sell yourself sell yourself into bankruptcy if you're not careful. Right. So it was, um, so that was, you know, from that moment, it crystallized it for me. And then I never lost that connection, but it was trying to, you know, get in that situation where you realize just how important it is. Um, you know, is there, uh, going back to the, to the tying it back to the, you know, the Clemson student coming out, um, you know, what are the opportunities you see to sort of get that business exposure um, early? Did, did you take in, you know, I did, I co-op. So, I mean, I literally was staffed in a, you know, at Herxelony's plant in Spartanburg where, you know, I was a, you know, apprentice engineer, basically farthest from the business experience one could probably get stuff back in a plant. Um, you know, as guilty, <laughs> same, I mean, it, it's uh so again it really I felt stunted in that area when I came out like I didn't have that 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 knowledge that looking back I was so lucky to find my way to getting it um but I think you know a, a good strategy there's better than luck so you know one of the things we I try to try to communicate here is you know find ways to become um, as intimate as you can with those financial details yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I think the the kind of co-op and internship program at Clemson was, was great for me, but it, it it is when you end up in these organizations in the co-op programs or the internships, you know, you do have a very defined role. And so I think a part of it is you if you end up in those roles, you need to take the initiative to ask the questions that are around the topics that we're uh, covering today. And go ask your boss. And if your boss doesn't give you this stuff, go ask another peer. And like, it just be relentless in, uh, in that pursuit, I think would be, um, you know, one pass. So I'll try to kind of break it into the, if you're in corporate world, you know, what would I do? And then if you were taking the entrepreneurship route, you know, what would you do? Um, so if you're going the, the corporate world, I think, Start early on while you're in school. If you're fortunate enough to get those um, those internships, really just ask a lot of questions, take people out to lunch, you know, just get those sidebar meetings because you are going to have a very specific function. Um, but I think you need to treat this very much like a, like a learning experience. And then I think the other thing is don't be afraid to lean on the professors at uh, at, at Clemson outside of the topics that you're covering in class. <laughs> I remember when you ended up becoming my boss when I was at, at business school at the University of Southern California, the first day it was a venture capital class. 
and um, my professor had a PhD, was a venture capitalist. And I walked up to him and I said, I'm going to come work for you. He said, well, I'm not hiring. I'm like, well, you don't actually need to pay me. I'm just going to come work for you. And here's my background. And he kind of just looked at me. And then the next class I went up to him and I was like, so when am I starting? And I kid you not, I, like the next week I was in their office. I didn't get paid. And then a month later, it's like, okay, well, maybe we've got some budget for you. We'll start to pay you. And so I think it was that um, that that pursuit, whether it's inside of a corporation or inside of the university, be willing to ask intuitive questions. Um, and then if I were to go over to the other side of the bucket, if you are taking an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial route, um, you got to be willing to fail and fail early and ask a lot of questions. I wish in hindsight, in my time at Clemson, I had spent more time with my peers trying to just come up with ideas, working with professors, even if it never went anywhere, going through that exercise. Um, I got so caught up in my kind of specific vertical degree and then everything else that was going on around Clemson, which is endless, as we all know. Um, I wish I would have spent more time doing that because I think you can really spend time learning what we're talking about by doing, even if it doesn't lead to a company I think that success will be invaluable in what you learn and then also the relationships that you'll build with your peers and your professors while at school. Yeah, no, those are great points. Uh, I think too, you made a, tying that back to a point you made earlier of figuring out um, you know, how to connect the insight to the customer, right? Like I think, um, how do you see the balance there in terms of when it comes to driving results you know, I think because I've I've certainly experienced, you know, there's even inside a company, whether it's big or if it's a new company with, like you said, perhaps too many ideas at, at one time in certain circumstances. Um, you know, what's that? What's the fastest path to getting convinced and clarity around the customer proposition? And, you know, and secondly, not just are do they like it? Are they interested in it? But Will they pay for it and how much? Yeah, simple. Uh, it's a simple equation. Go talk to them. <laughs> it's, uh, I was having this conversation with an engineer uh, yesterday, brilliant CTO, and I, I made it a number one priority for him this quarter to go talk to customers and actually record, not what well, I actually record, but to write down in a product plan what the customers are saying that they need. You know, his point to me was like, oh, well, the, the customer, I have everything the customers want. I said, okay, well, that's great. Like, what's your revenue? Like, all right, well, it's pretty small. And well, what have the, what have the customers said? Well, I haven't really talked to them. So I, I think the, the biggest thing people can do is go start to talk to customers, figure out what their pains are. And then the, it, it's a, a, a little bit of a double-edged sword. I think you have to be willing to say no to customers, whether you're a large organization or a small um, company that you're starting, I think you have to figure out after you understand what the pain points are, going back to our earlier conversation, like what is your defined niche that your product is going to solve and how can you make money doing that? And, you know, the simple things of asking the customers how much they'd be willing to pay for it. And then further down the road, the, the beautiful trick that not a lot of people do is Sometimes customers will actually give you contracts if you deliver on a certain product. So don't be afraid to go in and 
actually ask for the ask on the sale, even if you think it may be too early, because they, in a sense, can fund your product development um, or at least give you clarity that a specific dollar amount is going to be there if you can deliver a product. No, it's a, that's a really good point. And I read a piece a few weeks ago about, you know, and I didn't like how it was phrased, but it was basically saying that, you know, to, to, to succeed at that point in the startup process, you know, you've got to get comfortable with a amazing amount of ambiguity, right? Because yeah. you, you have to kind of sell ahead of the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't, you don't know if that customer really wants that product or not. And you could spend a fortune building something that really doesn't have a market, right? So it's, you know, and I think that's one of the hardest things for engineers who, you know, do venture into of the more entrepreneurial side of leadership, certainly, is, you know, recognizing that there's not a there's not a, a real clear answer to the equation you're trying to solve, right? Like, um, and you're only going to get there iterative, iteratively, it's going to take lots of conversations, and you're going to have to be willing to take the risk and make commitments ahead of what's actually been built. Right? So you, you can't, you know, you can't just you kind of have to sell it before you have it in many situations. Right. Um, But I I think that is, you know, obviously within the bounds of ethical behavior and knowing that you're, you are capable of filling that if, if given a Mm -hmm. shot at it. Right. Um, You know, being willing to take that step and, and have confidence in your ability to execute if given the chance by the customer to, to fill a need. Um, I know we're, I know we're running up on time here. But, uh, you know, I guess any, any key materials, you know, it, it's, we talked about the, the importance of why earlier. And, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of Cynic's work with Start With Why is one of his books that, you know, I think was great. Um, actually, it's the favorite, my favorite of his was um, Leaders Eat Last, actually. Which yeah. Didn't get as much press, but I thought it was a really good, really good take on leadership. Um, you know, what are you reading now? What, what would you recommend to these folks in the audience that are that are trying to, as we say, you know, build their leadership skills one one piece at a time here? Yeah, so I I'm going to have the world's most boring answer. Um, and I my wife is still like, I don't understand why you're doing this. It makes no sense. So I'm I actually got accepted into Stanford, one of their graduate programs in computer science. So. All I'm doing right now is that if you were to stare at my terminal, I have Python co- consoles up left and right. Um, so it is uh, it is a lot to do with computer science. And it's interesting. I mean, for for me, tying back to this conversation in engineering, I, um, I basically taught myself how to program, took a basic programming class at Clemson, but I taught myself how to program. And then I instantly got into the business world and the investing world, and I kind of lost a little bit of touch of the engineering side of what I do. So I'm, I'm like, I'm now going very, very deep into that, um, which is for me and what I do proven immensely valuable because now as I'm meeting with these brilliant PhDs and machine learning, and I'm, I'm like, not only could I have the engineering discussion that I could have before, but I'm staring over their shoulder, looking at their computer console at their code. Um, so it's uh it's a little bit of a brain exercise for me so it's uh it's been fun that's awesome and Malloy and company what should we what should we be looking for from you guys what's uh 
other products or new companies or or new solutions out there that you guys are working on that we'll see in the future? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm, I'm an interesting um, one when it comes to product, right? Because the companies that I've co-founded that are actually generating things, you've got Sway Ventures, which is a venture fund, um, NextCubed, which is an accelerator and works with corporates on corporate innovation. And then I've got um, Material Capital, which is actually based in Charleston. A uh, good friend of mine is the CEO, Alex Chalmers, which is doing later stage private equity and real estate. So there's, I don't know, 200 different things that are going on underneath the umbrella that I'm always working on different things. Um, one of the more interesting things that I'm working on um, right now is, is a company called Repurpose AI. They're basically using data and machine learning for drugs that have failed clinical trials for non-safety reasons and repurposing them. So let's say there was a kidney drug that failed that they're using software to identify that can be used for psoriasis. And then they partner with Pfizer to then go uh, distribute it. So I, I think the mission of that was focus on helping solve rare diseases is something I'm really, really passionate about. And it's doing it in a way where if you look at what pharmaceutical companies do today, they, they literally put a bunch of brilliant individuals in a room with binders and say, well, go figure it out. And this is, we've developed a platform that you can do it with software and it actually works. So I'm really passionate about that. And then um, the other one is a company I mentioned earlier, Tally. It's another mission-driven company, but in the fintech space. Um, the credit card companies are unbelievable. If any of you students have credit cards, look at what you're actually paying. It's unbelievable. Don't take on debt. Um, uh, Tally is basically reinventing uh, consumer credit. And uh, I just love what they're doing. I love the founders. I think I expect a lot of great stuff out of them. Awesome. Well, Bill, I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us and talking about driving results and execution and 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 so much more, creating companies and sharing your experiences. It, it, I know it'll mean a lot to our audience and to those of us that uh, didn't have access to wisdom and advice like yours when we were starting out. Hopefully, we can get it in front of as many of them as possible. So much appreciated. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Engineering Leadership is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping engineers enhance their leadership skills. You can download resources to accelerate your leadership skills by going to www.engineering-leadership.com.